0: EM Board Bombs. Welcome back to another episode of EM Board Bombs, the podcast that makes board studying not just enjoyable but exciting. It makes you look forward to boards in the next few years or so. Probably not that much, but still, our episodes are exciting, full of jokes that make you just raffle, r l f l, And special information that helps you become a better clinician i'm your host blake briggs the illustrious dr hussein will unfortunately not be joining us today and so i'm gonna walk you through some interesting stuff here for everyone's favorite fireside chat over the holidays and christmas eve and that's influenza so let's touch on the presentation diagnosis and management of influenza and hey where are we at with that tamiflu thing Is it still a controversy? You betcha. Let's talk about Tamiflu. Let's talk about all those crazy drugs people are making now to try to treat flu. And also how influenza is the ultimate troller. Let's go. As we get started today, remember, you can find us on Twitter at EMBoardBombs, our Twitter handle. Go to our website at EMBoardBombs.com. Let's talk about influenza. You know, fun facts here. Uh, This has been around for a long time. Um, You know, we're on the 100th year anniversary, actually, of... uh, the Spanish flu epidemic. Um, that's when the Spanish were last responsible for the flu. And there's like 50 million people that died from that thing. Um, the crazy thing is, is World War One just ended like, whatever, November 1918? Something like that? Yeah, November 11th, 1918. And worst conflict in human history up to that point. You have like 20 million people dying from that. And you have like another like 50 or 70 million people dying from the Spanish flu. I just can't wrap my head around how crazy that must have been to be living in a time when, whatever, up to 70 to 90 million people just died in about five years. The crazy thing is, it's like 20 million people from War One died in four years, and then you have the people die from the Spanish flu in like eight weeks. <laughs> So, I just, I can't even imagine, I'm sorry, just picture yourself living at that time, around Christmas, as you enjoy your ham and presents and whatever holiday you celebrate around this time. I just can't even fathom. So, now that we have that happy thought, let's go into the, let's go into the influenza. Happy podcast. I hope you're listening to this with the family in the car, driving home to see your family. (laughs) Hey, what are we going to talk about today? Oh, we're going to talk about the um, Spanish flu. So, influenza outbreaks. So usually like half a million people die of the flu worldwide each year. Again, it's complete average. Last year was a little bit higher, as we all remember. And influenza A or B is responsible for the usual outbreaks that occur annually. Who's most at risk from dying? Well, you could guess. Let's just completely throw out the chronic care facility people, immunocompromised people, because that's pretty obvious. And then you have pregnant women, anyone with comorbid illnesses, and then just straight up obesity, probably due to restrictive lung disease um, of some type. The incubation period after exposure is like one day or two, so it's a quick turnaround, right? Quick turnaround. Let's talk about the presentation. So you're going to have abrupt onset of stuff that we don't need to go over. <laughs> Save some time. We all know it's headaches, malages, malaise, fever. Malaise. Malaisey. On board exams, for the patient to have influenza, they have to have a fever. It's just going to have to happen. On med student exams, they're going to have to tell you something like they are coming to the ED or clinic like in January. Like, they're just going to have to give you some big hints here. If they don't have a fever on a test, on a board exam, it's not influenza. Don't pick it. That's just how it's going to be. So let's kind of get down a little bit further into brass tacks here, some of these symptoms. Um, so the consistent symptoms are going to be older adults, greater than 60 years old. So I'm not going to list off these likelihood ratios. But board-relevant stuff, if the boards ask you, hey, what's the most specific finding? Hopefully, you wouldn't be an idiot and say it's not fever. <laughs> so oh uh fever for the flu maybe fever malaise and chills three very subjective things if the patient if you're just asking the patient so fever malaise and chills if you have those three together that's like the strongest um indicator likelihood ratio wise for the flu um there's gonna be a study guide on the website showing the actual likelihood ratio breakdown where i got my sources so you can take a look there now, just in case you don't think the flu happens with fever malaise and chills you want to fact check me so a triad of fever cough and acute onset if those three are together fever cough acute onset the flu is like a 90% diagnosis for that well here's the problem though um yeah newsflash everyone comes to the ED with fever cough and acute onset monthly <laughs> especially during the winter so how do you avoid a CMS guided sepsis workup on patients that come in with fever and tachycardia versus a young person you're going to send home with potentially Tamiflu sounds easy right diagnosis clinical diagnosis we've mentioned laboratory studies don't help you at all they they actually have poor correlation even like leukocytosis oh what about a white count doesn't that help you well even with the flu it doesn't help you a uh, white count doesn't really have a correlation with the flu unless it's very very severe so what you're going to do here is you're not going to get any labs on these low-risk patients uh, and you shouldn't get them unless you're suspicious of like you know secondary infections or comorbid infections the problem is, is that influenza, as I like to say, is like the lupus of infections. I mean, seriously, you could blame it, any symptom the patient has on influenza. And this is going to be difficult, you know, just dropping a clinical pearl here. This will be very difficult. and You are have to use your clinical gestalt in real life. You know, you're going to have a lot of patients that come in that look very low risk and they might have the flu, right? But you're probably not going to test them. You're probably not going to get blood work on them. Um, if they're low risk, you're not going to get a chest x-ray, you're not going to get urine. But then you have your high-risk patients, and those are the patients that you should strongly consider getting at least blood cultures on, maybe some urine, um, maybe a chest x-ray. These things just solidify the fact that, hey, I'm probably going to send this patient home, but they're at high risk for a lot of things, especially COPD, risk factors we talked about, and then good follow-up with their PCP. The two tests that are going to come up here on your boards and in real life are going to be the rapid antigen test. That's that flu swab, and that comes back in like 10, 15 minutes, sometimes less than 30 minutes. And it's very specific. So if it's positive, you're good. But it's like the worst sensitive test ever. (laughs) It's awful. It's like flipping a coin. So it is very specific. It's like 98% specific across all ages. I'm kind of roughly averaging here if you did in five year olds and 50 year olds. It's like 55% sensitive. Again, flipping a coin. So if it's positive, the patient has a flu and you're, you're done. But if it's negative, then they could still have the flu, like 50% chance or whatever. So it's not that good, right? So the molecular assay, this is the RT-PCR. This is the most sensitive and specific test you could ever order for influenza. This is the one on the test question on your boards. And they say, hey, what's the best test for the flu? You're not going to pick the rapid flu. You're not going to pick clinical diagnosis. You're going to pick RT-PCR. It takes several hours to perform. It's not cheap. There are some really fast versions out there, but they're expensive assays. Some hospitals don't have them. You're definitely not going to get these on people you're discharging, right? It does differentiate the type of influenza strains present. And we're going to get to later about what you're going to do and what you're going to test. Let's do it right now. (laughs) I just looked at my script. In general, any undifferentiated, quote-unquote, sick-looking patient with upper respiratory symptomatology and is being admitted, you should test them. Unless it's they got an obvious pneumonia on the x-ray and blah, 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 they're on antibiotics, either way, you should consider actually seriously testing these people. If they're coming into the hospital and they look sick, especially ICU patients, then you should be testing them for the flu if it's from the flu season. And if you're testing for the flu, the rapid antigen is a good way to start because if it's positive, you're done. They do have the flu. If you want a breakdown of the actual flu strains, um, they're extremely sick looking, you know, like they have ARDS kind of stuff that you have yeah, to intubate them, kind of scary, scary stuff with the flu we'll talk about then you can debate doing the RT-PCR. And this is not going to be on boards. They're not going to ever, ever challenge you on boards when to get this type of test. So all immunocompromised patients, those who are pregnant, and high-risk children less than 10 with acute febrile illness, you can consider doing the rapid antigen test. Again, all people admitted to the hospital, quote-unquote sick-looking people, as well as all immunocompromised patients who are likely going to be admitted, right, if they have a fever, that's pretty obvious, pregnant patients, and high-risk children less than 10. You should be probably debating on testing these people. So moving on from testing, supportive measurements. Okay, straightforward stuff here. I think even mothers from throughout the centuries know how to treat the flu. You're going to have hydration, Tylenol, alternating ibuprofen every four hours. There is some hesitation in a lot of people obviously providing... Ibuprofen every four hours around the clock, especially higher risk patients like chronic kidney disease, liver disease patients. But this should be weighed case by case, and you shouldn't really be overthinking this. So let's talk about the meat of the talk here, which is the pharmacologic treatment. This is where your test questions are going to come from on your boards, in service exam, and the difficulty kind of of managing the flu in the ED here for outpatient therapy. So we got like three drugs here. We're going to touch on some others, but the three main drugs you're going to use here are zanamivir, oseltamivir which is Tamiflu, and I just butchered that name, I don't really care, and paramivir. All these things are something called neuramidase inhibitors. Remember that stuff from med school? (laughs) The neuramidase, basically that allows the the receptor that allows viral liberation with release of new viral particles in the body. Um, That's all you have to know about that. So basically, these drugs stop viral liberation from cell, the lysis of cells. So they block viral exit, and thus, um, theoretically, right, they should decrease viral shedding we'll see that's probably not the case. These three drugs I just mentioned are all active against influenza A and B, so the so-called benefits that some studies have shown. But on the board test questions, this is going to be true fact, and this is the correct answer. If the question is asking, do these drugs shorten duration of the flu-like illness to one to two days in most patients, that's 100% right. For maximum benefit, you need to give this drug basically within 48 hours. There A lot of mixed results, a lot of mixed results on whether or not these things actually reduce hospitalizations, flu-related mortality, or complications. Right now, many say they don't. The adverse effects, here's the kicker, these things cause severe nausea and vomiting, and it's actually more than the flu at times. Patients have said they've had worse nausea and vomiting when being on Tamiflu, or the other drugs, rather than just having the flu. So that is actually going to be a board question too, that these drugs cause more nausea and vomiting than the flu itself at times. Who gets it? So you can give this to any person, really. Uh, There's multiple societies that say you can give this to a neonate. Um, The FDA states it's approved to greater than two weeks old. Uh, But you can pretty much give this to anyone. Uh, In real life, boards would say probably greater than two weeks old. Amantadine and rimantadine. may remember these two from med school. The point is, I'm just saying them right now, just saying them so you're aware of them. And guess what never going to use them so these two are active only against influenza a there's increased resistance to them just don't even worry about them i'm just mentioning them and they're in the document so just look at it when you look at the document otherwise though they're not important and you're never going to be testing on them they're never the right answer you should never be giving those in flu let's talk about complications to finish up today so complications of flu this is where the, a lot of the questions come from especially in med school too who gets even sicker from influenza right the elderly are going to be the most commonly affected and tested on boards Young children, pregnant patients, the the high-risk people we talked about earlier, right? So secondary infections are, you know, caused by another pathogen, bacterial usually, and the most common cause of a re-presentation of a patient or return back to the ED with flu-like symptoms, and they were diagnosed with flu, and they're back, they're sicker. It's most commonly going to be pneumonia. Classically, on board tests, it's Staphylococcus aureus. That's going to be a critical, commonly tested fact on tests you have to remember, so the classic vignette, they always tell this, is um, the grandfather picks up his sick children from school or he's visiting like from the holidays out of town. And then one to two later, the grandfather gets a high fever and myalgias. He feels better. And then like four to five days later, he's back now because he's even sicker. And that's classically a worse cough, sputum production, staphylococcus aureus, pneumonia. All right. Meningitis and cephalitis are also two very concerning things that can happen with flu as well. They're extremely rare, extremely poorly studied, along with um, myocarditis as well. So just want to finish up one last thing prevention because we all like vaccines right the vaccine it varies per year right 10 some years are higher than 10 percent, some years are unfortunately lower than 10 percent. the bottom line here about vaccines is that if they are even just average effectiveness they can decrease tens of thousands of hospitalizations that's unnecessary medical costs there's some bonus material on the study guide I am just want to refer you to, The Virology of Influenza A and B. If you want to read more about that, you can. We are not going to talk about that over the air. People would lose their minds. So I want to wrap up this conversation today by encouraging you to go up to emboardbombs.com for future episodes, new content, and updates. And that is, again, emboardbombs.com. It's totally free to sign up. It's at no cost to you. The benefit is knowing, obviously, when these new episodes come up, bonus content like these extra episodes we do every now and then, and it's only available to those who sign up. Um, You can find us on Twitter. Our handle is at EMBoardBombs. We feel like we're giving you a task list, but it's not much, really. You click subscribe on your iPhone or Android to podcasts. You go to our website and sign up for the newsletter. And if you want, drop us a review. Really, there's only three things to do. Just three things. And if you have Twitter, come find us. That's on your own time. All right, so I hope you enjoyed this little fireside chat. Hopefully, you're either sitting at the fireplace, listening to some FDR and in between uh, EM board bombs, or if you're driving home, hopefully, you're having a nice, safe drive with the family. Put this on the speaker. Your wife's pie is saying, Oh, this is amazing, let's listen to it. So, I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful holidays, and um, please be safe. <phone rings>